Hi everyone, my name is Molly Wistie and I'm a chainsaw carver in northern Minnesota and I'm really excited to be here with you today on the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. I started this podcast because I love the art of chainsaw carving and I am often able to travel to events where there's a lot of other carvers and we get to just have fellowship and be together and learn from each other. But I know there's a lot of carvers out there that are in remote locations or in locations where they can't be with other chainsaw carvers. So with this podcast, I want them to feel a little bit more connected to the carving world and kind of hear what other carvers have to deal with, how other carvers handle carving and just learn from each other. I also am excited to get more knowledge out there about the art of chainsaw carving and how incredible it is and what great artists and sculptors uh, work in this art form. Today, I'm excited because we have on Robbie Bast all the way from Australia. And when we're recording this, it's actually tomorrow for Robbie. But uh, Robbie is going to come on and talk to us a little bit about uh, traveling, traveling um, within his country and traveling internationally for chainsaw carving events. And he'll talk to us a little bit about how he handles and prepares for competitions and then also tips and tricks for kind of the struggle uh, of international travel when you're going to competitions. So I'm excited to have Robbie on. I'll go ahead and, and bring him here. All right, everybody, I have Robbie Bast on. Robbie, would you like to say hello? Hello, everybody from the other end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Robbie, I actually, I apologize. Do you have um, like a name for your carving company or is it your name? No, it's just Rob Bass Sculptor. Okay, perfect. Uh, I forgot to double check on that. No, it's not. Yeah, just nice and easy. Yeah. Okay, so I already told these guys a little bit about what you were going to talk about. So I'm just going to jump into the first question. Uh, so when did you start traveling internationally for carving events? Um, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a story. There's 2007, um, I'd only been carving for about four years. Um, a buddy of mine who was a wood carver also had an ice carving company. Um, and Glenn said, you know, do you guys want to come and do some ice carving? I was like, yep, yeah, sure. Bring it on, you know, something different. And, um, yeah, so we did these, you know, they were for, like um housing estates um or you know like um oh i can't even think of the word um sort of display homes that's the one um so mm -hmm. they had these little winter wonderland festivals and we did some ice carving and that sort of stuff and glenn rang me up and said look i've got this job coming up are you interested in doing it i'm like yeah ice is fun and he said great because i can't go myself i'm going to send you in my place i'm like I've only done sort of four ice carving jobs with you. Do you think I'm ready? And he's like, it's cool. You'd be carving with, you know, three other experienced carvers. And I'm like, oh, well, okay, well, that, that makes it easier. And I said, where's the job? And he said, oh, Fairbanks. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, it's just another, you know, housing estate. Like we've done a job in silver leaves and green slopes and you know, all these, <laughs> that sort of thing. I'm like, Fairbanks, where's Fairbanks, Glenn? And he said, oh, Alaska. And I'm like, holy, you know. So... <laughs> Yeah, that, that sort of spun me out. I said, well, when is it? And he said, oh, two weeks. And I'm like, oh, man, that doesn't give me much time to get ready. And 
So I'm racing, like I have no cold weather gear. You know, you've got to understand what our climate's like down here. We've got sure. three snow fields, maybe four in Australia, I think. Um, yeah. But it, so, yeah, it, it's it's completely different. I, had, I wasn't geared up for it at all. Um, but, yeah, there you go. Two weeks later I was standing in the airport at Fairbanks, um, ready to go do the World Ice Art Championships with a Dutch team, and um, yeah, that was that, it. Was just a an amazing experience. Um, wow! Yeah, so that was that was my foray into international competition. Um, but then you know, like from there, I got um, invited to go to Canada to carve carve a palooza. Um, then I did, uh, Duck Creek and the US Open. First time I met you, um, that was 2013. Yeah. Where's that gone? Um, I know, right. And what was after that? I did Chetland in 2014. Um, and I doubled it up with, um, the Ocean Shores event down in Washington. 2015 was a Husky Cup and Chetland. Um, 2017, I did Ridgeway Rendezvous and then Chetwin again. And then this year, I've done Chetwin. 2016, I didn't travel. Um, I, had, I sort of had a year off. I had a lot a lot of work going on and that sort of thing. So um, mm-hmm. I missed it a lot, but no, it was still, yeah. Sure. That's where so I'm at, up to date. Do you, do you typically, um, do you think that, you learn about or invited to other events from going to events or how do you think those connections typically happen? Yeah, look, I think so. I think, I think event organizers do look at other, um, other events and other competitions and sort of go, okay, you know, who are they using and who are these people? And, you know, yeah. So I I definitely think, um, yeah, after, after I, I think 2014, I took second at Chatwin. And then I got invited to the Husky Cup, so there's definitely, you know, a, a connection there. They, they, other organisers and that sort of thing, look at yeah different events and pick the people from. So it there. helps. It helps to get out there and and yeah. meet people and get publicised. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you sit in your shop all the whole time and and don't put yourself out there, yeah, it it doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you kind of listed out, I was going to ask you events that you've been to. Okay. Um, and then, so what's challenging about international travel specifically for carving? Like, do you have any tips to share or things that other carvers should know? Um, if you've got kids, make sure you've got FaceTime <laughs> or something like oh, that. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, yeah, that, I think that's one of the most challenging things is being away from your family, if you don't take them with you, that is. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I I find it difficult um, when I'm at, a, at an event. Um, if if I take my family with me to an event, then I feel guilty because I'm just in a, in competition mode, and you know I'm I'm working like you know that eight hours for the day, and then um, you know they're just sort of hanging around, and you can't sort of stop and just you know go and do something or or whatever, right? Um, so I usually do events um, on my own, um, but yeah, make sure I you know get that quality time. Or, or when I say quality time, it's more for me because um, 
my boy, at, <laughs> my boy Cooper, he's, he's six, and when I uh, FaceTime with him, he's like, oh, hi, Dad, and he's all, all excited for about mm, a minute. And then, yeah, yeah ah, I've got stuff to do. We'll catch you later. Right. I'm like, oh, right, <laughs> thanks, mate. So, yeah. Mine do that too. <laughs> I know too, when I came to Australia, I thought I had my phone plan with Verizon all set up for international so I could talk to my family. Yeah. And then I got over there and it didn't work and I was trying to, you know, call home to get my husband to fix the phone plant. So I couldn't talk to him almost the whole time I was there, except for when I was at the hotel with internet. With Wi-Fi. So, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. I'm in the same boat. Um, it's, it, it's really, if anybody's got any tips, please send them through because, um, I've had the same thing. Um, uh, my, my Telstra mobile set up, it, it, it doesn't sort of, nobody talks to each other like Verizon and Telstra don't work together or AT&T right. and, and yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely difficult. Do you do you typically uh, borrow all tools and saws? I mean, obviously you can't travel with saws. I've known some people though that have shipped their saws places. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like with FedEx or something. What do you do for all that? Well, yeah. Look, it, it's it's always tough. Um, you never if you're borrowing gear overseas, you never know what you're going to get. Um, mm-hmm. I think. Knowing what tools you'll have um, and being able to adapt with limited tools, you know, like running a mm-hmm. skeleton crew, you know, I've I've, I've had shows he, he, here in Australia where um, I've had to ship um, my box of tools and it didn't turn up. So I begged and borrowed, you know, uh, so I had one show, it was a three-day show, I had a... One saw with a standard bar. I had a battery saw with a carving bar, a die grinder, and a Dremel. And wow. it's it's amazing what you can you know pull out. For, you know if if you sort of go okay, well yeah, I'm going to have to adapt to these tools or, or you know. So yeah, I, I found that knowing what what tools you're going to have um, and and knowing what tools you'll need. Um, Mm-hmm. Not what you might need because I think we're all bad at just taking too much stuff with us to shows that you know that mm-hmm. doesn't get used, but it's there just in case you need it. But yeah, so right. yeah, I, I think really having know, knowing the tools you'll need and, and knowing what you can do with those tools. And then I know there's the challenge too, and maybe everybody else knows this, but when you travel internationally, the the plugins are different, so. Like I can't bring my U.S. tools to Australia. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I had the, I had the same thing, and um, when we went to Germany, it was not so bad because they had exactly the same power as us. Um, okay, and I had converters for all the the guys in the um, from states and that sort of stuff. Um, but I had who was there? Um, at the Australian Championships, Marina Cole brought over. She had an adapter um, because, like, they're 110 in Canada too. Um, and it was um, – it must have had, like, a resistor in it. Um, so she could use her 110 tools in Australia where we got 240. 
So okay. Um, I I said to her, "Don't do it. You'll you'll burn out your tools." She said, "No, I've got this adapter." And I sort of thought it just looked like the plug adapter. Um, I said, "No, mm-hmm. you're going to fry it." But they did it, and it was fine. And then I found out that it must have had a resistor in it or something like that. But um, sure, yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, you definitely don't want to fry out all your stuff. <laughs> no. And I mean, really, if if you if you're going overseas and you, I've I've done this plenty. Um, if you're borrowing tools or something like that, I mean, I've I've been really lucky when I when I've done Chetwin. Um, the first year I ran up with Chris Foltz and he had his whole trailer full of gear and and I could use you know his stuff. And then the last few times I've I've travelled up with Ryan Cook and. Um, and then these last two times with um, Jeff Semendoski and and we we yeah we I was just lucky enough that they had all their gear on board and you know they had spares. But um, in the past, look, I've been over and and said, look, he haven't got enough gear or whatever. So I just went down to you know like Harbour Freight or you know Canadian Tire or wherever. And just bought a mm-hmm. cheap die grinder or a tre- cheap Dremel that was going to last for the competition, you know. And then if it's still sure. going fine, you you know, you give that to your host as a bit of a thank you. And, you know, they might be crappy tools, but, you know, they get you out of a jam. Yeah. Okay. So are competitions very different from country to country or do you find a lot of similarities? Um, yeah, they, look, they're different, definitely different. Um, every comp's different, you know, like, you know, it might be different wood, different language, different power, like we talked about. Um, so they're all, you know, things, I suppose, you know, like different cultures have different judging setups and, and that sort of stuff. Or, or judging may change from, from competition to competition too. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I guess, um, like differences in wood, like Husky Cup, you run an oak and it's, it's hard and it's, but the tensile strength's really good, you know, so things aren't going to snap off. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, when we're carving, you know, like red cedar or, or something like that, it's much softer, but you've got to worry about things snapping on short grain and, um mm-hmm. yeah so it and then you get you know spruce and pine and and yeah it really it really differs i suppose in the wood but it's just again adapting to you know what you're using um as far as i don't know look i've really only sort of been to germany where there's been a, a any sort of language barrier um mm-hmm. So that, but I mean, yeah, you get around that too. You find somebody who can speak the language or, or hand signals or, you know, draw in a picture in right. the dirt, you know, to explain somebody, uh, <laughs> to explain something to somebody, you know, it all, you work it out. You, it, it adds to the experience, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I know it's, it's never big adjustments, but even for me, just traveling across the U S you know, some, some competitions pay you, some competitions don't, yeah. some places auction your carving, some keep it, some let you keep it. And even just, you know, people's choice versus judging. And yeah. it's so good to know all that ahead of time because yeah. you, you plan for it differently. Um, 
than you would if it was another way. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So that kind of leads me into the next thing. I was going to ask you, uh, what's your strategy for a competition? Like, do you do you sketch out ahead of time? Do you study anatomy? Do you do like a pre-carving or do you more come up with something on the spot? Um, all of the above. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I guess I generally um, do a sketch of the, of the piece just to get it in my own head. Um, then I'll work out, you know, I'll, I'll draw the log, work it, work out, you know, where things are going to be, you know, if I'm going to do any add-ons and that sort of stuff. Um, I definitely study the anatomy, um, whether it be, you know, whatever animal um, or, you know, human form or or whatever. Um, I guess one of the only times I did not do that was um, I was doing a robot. Um, and, oh, sure. But also, like, if you're doing mythical creatures, you know, I, there's always been this joke about, you know, someone saying about a dragon, oh, no, that's not right and whatever. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, when did you see a dragon last? Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess, um, but, yeah, I definitely study anatomy. I, I pre-carved a piece once and it when I carved it, it wasn't the same as when I'd, I'd done it um in in the practice piece uh because the wood was different um mm-hmm. so yeah I, I generally don't sort of do a pre-carve um i just yeah i and i don't really have the time to to sort of do that um sure on the spot i've done that a couple of times just because i didn't know you know what the wood was going to be like um there wasn't a lot of information on the competition um, I hadn't done it before. Um, mm-hmm. When I did Reed Sport, um, I was just coming off the back of Chetwind as well. And it was, yeah, I, I had no idea um, until the log draw. And then I ended up getting this absolute monster of a, um, oh, crikey, how big was it? It was, it might have been like 68 inches or nearly, yeah, 72 maybe inch. This massive spruce log, and I was like, "What on earth yeah. am I going to do with that?" And I was already, from, you know, like carving a Chetwind for the whole week, and then I just went straight into mm-hmm. Reedsport. And uh, Bob King sort of came up and sort of bumped shoulders with me, and he said, uh, "You're going to carve that?" And I said, "You want it?" And he goes, "Yeah, I want it." I said, "Good, because I don't want it." So, um, <laughs> yeah, but. Um, yeah, I mean, and and that I just sort of looked around the town and sort of talked to people, and you know what was, you know, relevant in the town, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I ended up doing a fisherman with you know big halibut and a you know that sort of thing. Um, so that was a it was a pretty simple carving, but I mean, yeah, it didn't place, but hey, the the city bought it off me, and so that was cool, and so that's. Cool. Somewhere in Reedsport, haven't haven't seen it, but uh, yeah, yeah. So that that was cool, but I, I guess yeah, look, definitely you've got to plan your carving. Um, if you if you're going, if you want to go for a win or at least place, um, yeah, you really got to spend that time. I, I've seen you know a few people who can pull it off that they just go off the cuff, but I mean, you know, you look at big hitters like you know. Bob King, um, you know, Jeff Samadowski, Chris Foltz, 
these guys look they they put the time in you know you 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 plan that carving and and like Chris down to you know templates of each piece you know how he likes to blow them apart but so mm-hmm. yeah he he really you know does a lot a lot of planning um and 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 Jeff did the same thing with that amazing piece he did um well he won with at, at Chetwin this year of Lady Gaga that was just phenomenal and and traveling up with him too you know we got a little bit of insight of, of what he was going to do and he he, he kind of kept his cards close to his chest, but we, you know, sort of weasel it out of him. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was, no, it was really cool from from knowing his concept and then and then watching him pull it off. It was just phenomenal. Um, yeah, it was a really, really good time. That's cool. I know I, I always, I never want to tell people exactly what I'm going to carve because I'm always worried about how it's going to turn out compared to what I said it was going to be and... <laughs> And it, I've never had a carving not turn out, but I still am that way. <laughs> yeah, oh, hey, yeah, you're not Robinson Crusoe there. I mean, I, I, I was like that at the start too. I was like, uh, no, I don't want to sort of say because if it doesn't turn out, then yeah. <laughs> hang on, didn't you say you were going to do X, Y, Z, you know? And it's like, right. uh, yeah. And now I'm just like, oh. I, I put the disclaimer in, and people go, "What are you going to carve?" And, and a lot of people say, "Oh no, I can't tell you." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that." And, <laughs> and but if it doesn't turn out, then oh well. So yeah, always put that disclaimer in at the end. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> so speaking of like blowing the log apart and stuff, with everybody doing a lot of lamination and cutting up their logs, have you? embrace doing lamination in your competition pieces and like do you think lamination is necessary now to be competitive or what do you think about it yeah look um i i really think that um yes and yes i i I do i do embrace lamination in a comp um and and i do think it's it's necessary to to do it to be competitive these days um, it. I mean, I it, the first time I did it was in Chetwin, um, and like traveling up with Chris, you know, he sort of gave me a lot of ideas. Um, my original design was going to be in the confines of the log, and then you know, like I was, I, I stayed with Tomas Verba um, before I went up to Chetwin, and he almost redesigned my piece for me. Um, <laughs> like, no, you must do it like this and it has to, and it has to have this and, and this shape and, and it must have this curve. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but this is it. He goes, no, no, no. And it, so we compromised and worked it out together. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> don't be scared to, you know, let other more experienced carvers help you out with your design. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I... So I added the tail, the head, um, and the back legs of the crocodile that I did up there. So the joinery is really not that hard, but just take your time with it. Um, that's the only mm-hmm. thing I can suggest. Um, learn from somebody who's good at it. Um, that that really helps too. Um, but, yeah, I, I think – um, you know, looking at your lines and, and 
and seeing where it's going to really be an advantage. Um, you know, if you've got something that's short grain, it's not going to take you too long to add a piece that's going to be long grain. Definitely do it. Mm-hmm. Um, structural integrity of um, of sculptures in my book is is pretty important. Um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, they do these massive way out stuff and then they sort of turn around and go, well, hey, it's only got to hold together for the judging. But, yeah, I'm I'm not a big fan of that. Um, right. I like mine to, be, you know, to have a longevity. Um, yeah, look, I think it, being able to escape, like, the confines of the log is awesome. Um, you know, back in the day, everything was within the log and, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the, the sort of um, more experienced, you know, old timers or if you want to call them that, um, were like, you can't, add, you can't add to that and, and you can't do this, especially when, you know, like Foltz was starting to do, you know, all his crazy stuff. And, and with an ice carving background, you know, you're adding a lot of stuff anyway. So I think that's yeah. where a lot of it came into. Um, they're like, no, you can't do that, and that's crazy. And and well, yeah, it was crazy, but it was crazy exciting, you know. Being able mm-hmm. to blow a blow a piece out and and like have extensions and and give it more life, I guess. Sure, I know I've gone to some places where people haven't been doing as much lamination, and it's really fun when the crowd comes up. And I've only started doing some lamination, but when the crowd comes up and they're trying to talk to you and figure out like how that was a log. Yeah. You know, like I don't understand how that piece is sticking out and how you got that shape. And it's, it's fun to try to explain to them when I cut this out and I put it over here and they're going, wow. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think also, um, you know, people going, Oh gee, that was so lucky that you had a branch coming out there or something like that. Cause they think that that was part of the log. You know, um, as long right. as the joinery is good, they'll think it's a part of the look. <laughs> uh huh. So yeah, yeah, and go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go on. <laughs> yeah, no, and when you were talking about letting other carvers help you design, I have so many times, especially when I started working with lamination, I've called you know Jeff Moore, Jeff Samadusky, and Chris Fultz, and been like, how how do I do this? Because the first time I did it, I was totally scared. Yeah to to try it that it was going to break or fall apart or but when you go for it it's it's incredible what you can get out of a log oh yeah no doubt and and it and it takes a lot of pressure off the log drawer too or 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 worrying about you know if you're going to get a big enough log because you can make it bigger um right yeah so and i think also like you know opening a log up and and getting more negative space and that sort of thing, you know, and be able mm-hmm. to use nearly all the log rather than you know having this massive pile of offcuts that are all mm-hmm. usable timber. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I I hate to waste wood, um, especially in a competition. That's one thing I always think about is use of the log. Um, right. So I mean, yeah, and that that really disappointed me when I was. I was at Chetwin this year, I, but I had to get that design out of my out of my system. I've been, you know, hanging on to it for a long time, and I went, yeah, maybe it's time to do that piece. And but I had these two massive slabs off the side of it that 
I just didn't end up using and that sort of killed me a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I know the your piece too, when I was in Australia, the man from Snowy River, uh-huh. so many people over here have asked me like, how how did he fit that in a log, you know, and just trying to explain the parts that you attached and they're always amazed. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and it, I think it is, it, it really is a matter of, um, you know, thinking outside the box or thinking outside the log, if you like, um, and, and just going, okay, well, I've got that, but if I took a piece from here and I stuck it on there and put that bit onto here and then, and then it just becomes like, a game of chess, you know, you're sitting there going, well, if I take this and put that there, then that I can put there. And then, it, it, yeah, it's just, you can go to the nth degree with it. Right. There was different points here at the, the Superior Wisconsin event that uh, John Hayes just made that shark. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be going around doing my video and people were like, where is John Hayes' piece? And I'm like, well, it's, it's kind of like blown apart all over the ground because yeah. <laughs> he... He would even like build it up and fit it and then take it back apart and then build it back up and fit it and take it back. But he never glued it or anything because he wanted to work on parts on the ground. Yeah. And it was until the end, it was never together. Because yeah, he's not a really <laughs> tall man, John. So doing a tall sculpture is really <laughs> always a struggle. Now, right. <laughs> it was funny. First, I, like, I, just on a bit of a side note about John, I, um, I bang on about Chetwin all the time, but that's what I, I met him this year. Um, but, Sure. But John uh, and his offside of Joxer, who wasn't at, at Lake Superior, but um, he's usually his right-hand man. They, they, they work together all the time. And okay. so I've seen all these pictures on Facebook about these, you know, about John Hayes and Joxer, and they do their, their little videos of Fun Day Friday and all that sort of stuff, And which if you get a chance, yeah. go check it out because they're just crazy. Maybe I've just got a bad sense of humor, a weird sense of humor, but. I just think, um, but yeah, I always thought Joxer was this mountain of a man, and John was, you know, you know, average height. And then when they turn up right. to um, the the Carver's dinner at Chelwin, and John's like his little leprechaun, and Joxer's my height, and I'm just like, oh, I thought you were taller. Um, it was just, yeah, it was so funny. But uh, anyways, yeah, those guys are yeah. funny. Okay, so next question. I've seen you do some really cool finish techniques. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to share some of your processes, or are they secret? No, there's no such thing as secret. <laughs> um, no, no, look, I mean, I really think that, that a lot of people who sit there and go, oh, no, that's a secret, there must be some <laughs> sort of insecurity going on there, or they don't want to see chainsaw carving go ahead like it is. Um, right. Well, and even when you share, it's almost impossible for people to replicate it because I tried to replicate your bronze technique that you did on Man from Snowy River, and well, part of it could be that I have pine over here, exactly. But it, it didn't. It turned out really cool, but it didn't look like yours. And, and, and you know what? <laughs> that okay. So for for those who don't know, I use um, and and this I learned from somebody else. You know, it, it's sure. Not, my technique or anything like that but I've just sort of worked on it and sort of got my own way of doing it um so all it is is um I learned this in Germany and it's called witch's brew or iron acetate which is basically 
Um, I use steel wool um, dissolved in vinegar. Some people use rusty nails. Some people use horseshoes or any sort of iron, iron filings, whatever. I find that, yeah, the, the steel wool is nice and clean and it doesn't have as many impurities and and it dissolves fairly easily. Um, so, yeah, and, and what it does, it reacts with the tannins in the wood um, and colours it to different sort of colours depending on the amount of tannins in the wood. I mean, you know, in Germany with the oak, um, it'll turn it black, 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 black. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, if you dilute it right down, and it's all a, it's all a bit of alchemy, I guess. Um, you just sort of muck around with different, you know, different brews, different, um, you know, dilutions, I guess. Um, sure. How long do you have to let it sit, the steel wool and the vinegar? Oh, look, it probably, oh, three days maybe, depending on. Okay. So if I used four liters of vinegar to maybe two pads of steel wool, so what's that, mm-hmm. a gallon for you guys, four liters? Um, so, yeah. I'm going to pretend like I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Close enough to. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I, I think that, yeah, that it usually takes about three days. Um, sometimes you can get a real sort of rusty color in it, um, depending on how much the steel will floats and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, look, I, I, it doesn't really differ that much. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah. And then all I do is I use either, um, uh, like a, hands like a a pump up sprayer or something like that and spray over it or i'll just brush it on um onto Mm -hmm. the onto the wood um i use cypress so it just it lends itself to this really nice like you said that that sort of bronzy color um Mm -hmm. but then you know it really depends where the wood's growing too um i had some pieces um this year for the australian championships um and it went a more sort of greeny sort of almost like a, a like a bronze patina um like that that sort of greeny sure. sort of color greeny gray um okay. but then i had some real bright red sections that it reacted there was you know some sort of a some sort of sap or something like that through it i i, I can't work it out but it was just cool um yeah, there uh-huh. were some sections that, that went like this massive red color. So, yeah, it's a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess it just depends um, how much sort of tannin is in the wood to how much it reacts with it. Sure. I know uh, the piece that I tried over here, it, it was on uh, white pine, and it it was darker than yours, but it, it turned out really cool. It It didn't look like yours, but it turned out this really cool, dark, rich color. So, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, I guess you can get some sort of rustier colors too. Um, if you stir up, like the Iron Estate, it's always going to get like a, a film of like rusty, like that, 
um, mm-hmm. like orangey rust. It's that, that rust color in the bottom of the, the bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you mix that through, um, you'll get a different color again because it's actually putting that rusty red color on on the piece. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, like that's – I haven't actually – because I don't burn anymore. Um, I used to do um, – I used to burn highlights and, and all that sort of thing. Excuse me. Um, so – because I don't do that anymore, I reckon it's a lot quicker with a can of black spray paint in a rattle can. Um, mm-hmm. Putting all those accents in, um, I don't know how it would go with with you know combined with burning. Um, whether it's going to change anything in the wood to you know to make it color different, but I think that's just something you, you oh, learn sure. as you go along. Um, I know I just test it out. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I was going to ask you too, when you spray the black spray paint on, I know then you kind of sand off highlights. Sure. Sure. Do you you have to use a pretty harsh sandpaper to get the spray paint off or does it come off pretty easy? Like what kind of sandpaper do you have to use? Well, I make up sanding stars. So basically sanding stars, for those who don't know, are... you can't buy them. You got to make them. Um, I use um, like two inch um, or inch and three quarter, I guess. No, inch and a half. I'm trying to do the conversion for metric. Forty <laughs> yep. millimeter or four centimeter, which of you like? Um, emery cloth on a roll, and then I rip that up into like eight inch um, lengths. Stack them up drill a hole in them, um, and for me, it takes eight strips to make the full circle. Um, so you drill a hole in the center, and then you put a bolt through it with two nuts um, mm-hmm. to, to clamp it together um, or, and a couple of washers. Um, so I have eight pieces of sandpaper with the grit going down and then eight pieces with the grit going up. So you've got abrasive on both okay. sides of that. Put that in a drill and, yeah, you can you can get into all sort of nooks and crannies. You can get into saw cuts. You can get into, you know, if you're doing drapery and that sort of thing, it kind of lends itself really well because you can get into all the, the peaks and the valleys um, of, of that. Um, yeah, I, I think... You know, and, and doing feathers on birds and that sort of thing. You can, you know, sometimes you'll leave too sharp an edge um, on a on a feather or something like that. You go over it with this thing, it just softens everything and rounds everything off nice. Um, sure. But I use like a – I'll use an 80 grit um, on the Cypress I'm using. Sometimes I'll use like a 120 if I want to do really, really fine, but I find the 80 grit sort of really – you know, does everything I need it to do. Um, takes off all any, you know, and it, it just makes it a lot faster for me because I don't have to worry about you know, like you get those little striations from the from the saw chain when you're doing you know some cuts. Um, mm-hmm. You can really get involved with it and sort of you know do some 
interesting, you know, um, textures and that sort of thing using the using the saw. Um, and then what I do is I, I'll before I even sand anything, I'll spray over it with the black and just give it a real light dusting with the black paint. Um, mm-hmm. And if I need to sort of highlight some, you know, like some grooves or whatever, um, you know, you can go a bit heavier with the paint. But it's all just practice and and just trying things out. Um, and then yeah, go over with the sanding star, and it'll just take everything off. Um, on you know like any high points um and it'll leave um like some of the spray paint into the into those um like striations and and any of the the saw marks really um mm-hmm. which you know gives it a really cool sort of look a little bit of you know light and shadow and that sort of thing but just playing yeah. with it and 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 working it out Cool. Yeah, you definitely, when I saw that technique on the man from Snowy River, you, you nailed it. It looked really cool. Thanks. So thanks thanks for sharing oh, all that. yeah, no problem. And, you know, like, and I, think, I think a lot of that is is about, you know, sharing techniques. And then, and like I, I learned that from um, Eagle when I was at the Husky Cup, you know, seeing how they did it, um, you know, using that light and shadow. Um, and then... I sort of took that and then ran with it and and did my version of that. And then, you know, if somebody sees what I did and then they try it out and they're doing their version, and it's like a Chinese whisper, none of it's wrong. Um, Right. But you all get your own sort of way of doing it, and I think that's how a lot of stuff evolves. Yeah, and I think it's just incredible, you know, with all the the social media and sharing and just seeing what people are doing across the world, I think we're all pushing the art form so much further than we could if we were all separated. Oh, there is there is no doubt. I think, you know, when when the internet came about um, back in what was it, the nineties or something like that, early nineties, that sounds yeah, right. That people all of a sudden there's these forums and there's people chatting about you know, chainsaw carving and all that sort of stuff. And then and then Facebook came along and it just absolutely blew the world wide open. Um, I mean, I was never into that sort of stuff. I was like, yeah, nah, you know, you can keep your Facebook and I think, what was it, MySpace and all that sort of stuff was going around back then. And and then mm-hmm. I met Steve Kanzora at, at Palooza, and he's like, no, you get, you get on Facebook, you know. Everybody's on, like, you know, everybody's doing this and, and you can see what all these other different carvers are doing around the world. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm glad I did because it really made a massive, massive difference um, seeing what people are doing. And you get that little bit of a, you know, if you've got that little bit of a competitive edge, you sort of go, ooh, ooh, I've got to try that because I might be able to use that in this competition or that co- Or You know, you, you're always trying to better yourself. Um, and mm-hmm. And if you pass that on, I think it it makes all the difference in the world um, of of pushing this art form, you know, where I think it needs to go is is by sharing and and putting other techniques out there and trying different stuff. And and I mean, you know, look where it is now. From when was it back in nineteen mid fifties or something like that that people started 
kicking around, you know, with Chainsaw, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely incredible. So those are the questions that I had for you. Is there anything else that you want to talk about or share? Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not good at making up questions or whatever. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> That's no problem. I just want to make sure there wasn't something like dying on your mind that you just really wanted to say that I forgot about. <laughs> uh, look, no, no, don't. I don't know. Oh, look, um, going back to – um, traveling nationally, internationally, if I can get it out. Mm-hmm. Um, traveling with saws and that sort of stuff. Um, sure. I think, like, obviously, you can't take um, gas saws on a plane, that sort of thing. I've been through all of this before. Um, you know, tried different avenues. What if it's brand new? But like, some of the airlines are, are that stringent that you know even if it's been test run in the in the factory it's had gas through it so you know they don't want anything to do with it um i'm right i'm using a lot more battery saw at the moment um that i think also is is the way of the future like the technology is just going in leaps and bounds which i think is awesome um for especially for like you guys, you know, when middle of winter, you don't really want to go out in the yard and, and carve. Um, if you can stay in mm-hmm. your shop and there's no gas fumes, well, that's a great idea. Um, yeah. But, yeah, sort of getting back to the the travelling with saws, um, with the battery saws, it makes it a lot easier. Um, I'll take one or two battery saws with me when – I travel overseas. Um, whatever you do, if you've got spare batteries, put them in your carry-on, not your check luggage. Um, you're allowed to leave the batteries in the saws um, in your check luggage, but any spare batteries, put them in your carry-on. Don't lose your batteries. People, they will take them away. Um and declare you've got your batteries because if they're putting your um, bag through a scanner, like your carry-on bag through the scanner, and they see two things that have got a whole bunch of cylindrical things strapped together, right? kind of doesn't look good. So, um, yeah. yeah, pull your battery out, put it in the tray where they can see it, and then they'll go, what is this? And you'll say, it is a battery. Um, I got that tip from a buddy of mine who used to do a lot of traveling, uh, with camera gear. Um, and again, you know, like they've got big batteries in these, these, you know, professional video cameras and that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, Mm -hmm. have, have your batteries in your, in your, in your carry on luggage, declare them. Um, I've had a couple of TSA agents who sort of drilled me, um, about them. And they said, you can't do that. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I can. Make sure you you state that you've read um, any literature from the airline um, and that you can back that up because um, some of the TSA agents or most of them, fine. There's, you know, there's, there's a couple of guys out there who sort of feel like they need to justify their existence. Um, 
So, mm-hmm. but yeah, look, if you if you're forthcoming to say, yeah, this is it, um, this is what I got, then they're fine. Good tip. Okay, so you send the saws in your checked um, luggage with no batteries, battery. and your batteries are with yeah, you. Yeah, you're allowed to have a battery in the saw um, in your checked luggage. Okay, but if you've got any spare batteries, um, oh, gotcha. Yeah, put them in your carry on. Okay. So, um, good tip. I didn't even think about yeah, that. Yeah, look, that, and that's, and that's, it's, look, they, they jump up and down about, you know, some things and go, you can't do that because it's like, well, as a matter of fact, I can. Here's the literature. If you've, if you've got the stuff right there to show them, then, you know, they know that you're legit and you're, you're doing the right thing. So, um, sure. But yeah, I mean, Look for, for for tools and that sort of thing. I always um, take any bars that I want to use. Um, any particular bars, if I go well, most most competitions, if they're going to lend you saws and that sort of thing, um, they'll usually have like a twelve inch carving bar or something like that. But if you've got particular bars, like you know a toonie or a um, a little samura bar or a you know like real fine competition bars or whatever um, or if you've just got mm-hmm. that favorite bar that you want to take with you definitely take your carving bars with you um, loops of chain that sort of thing don't go overboard um, because you know we all got to sort of think about the weight um, yeah so what else burbits that sort of thing. I'll take a selection of those, the ones I know I'm going to use, um, eye tools, that sort of stuff, Dremel bits. Um, yeah, that's that's probably about all I sort of think about. Um, a bar tool, you know, like a, a, whatever you want to call it, a scrunch, a bar tool, or, you know, bar wrench, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I always take one of those just because you hate it when you haven't got one. Um, right. Oh, sharpening gear, a couple of files for whatever chain you're running. Um, and, you know, a flat file taking down your depth gauges. You probably borrow that off somebody there, but if you've got it, then you don't have to go looking for it. Um, just simple stuff like that. And and you, I I don't like to sort of, be a burden on any of my hosts so if i've got you know the basics you know if you don't just turn up and go hey what do you got for me um yeah right. it makes a big difference yeah it's nice to have the basics not burden other people and i know during a competition if you're having to run around and ask everybody do you have this do you have the, it that takes a lot yeah. of time oh too. absolutely absolutely and also like i noticed at the first couple of australian championships i i helped out a lot with um with you know other carvers and and hosting people and and lending saws and power tools and all that sort of stuff you became that go-to person um and mm-hmm. people keep coming up to you going hey do you have a and you're like oh you 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 want to be you know totally hospitable but it's right. also taken away from your carving time so yeah like it, yep. it, not that anybody was really a burden that you know touch wood that that I've had here um you know staying with me or whatever but 
yeah, you sort of sit there and you go, I really got to be working on my piece as well. Um, it's okay if right. you've got one person that you're, you're sharing with, but if you've got like three or four, it yeah, it, it gets a little bit taxing. Um, yeah. But, yeah, apart from that, um, yeah, look, your hosts look after you really well, so I think, you know, it, it – should come back around that you know you look after your hosts as well um mm-hmm. so yeah that's that's probably all the tips i got on that sort of thing no i think that's incredible you shared a lot of great stuff i know the, the only time i've traveled internationally so far was australia and i was totally unprepared but i mean i i talked to you a little bit ahead of time and i had a little better idea what i was doing but i think all this stuff's going to be really helpful especially for people who haven't traveled a lot well, so i really appreciate you coming yeah, on no no definitely and and i think um first time you travel you, people understand if it's the first time you've done an international event or something like that of course you you're not going to be 100% you know, like a seasoned veteran. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Being yeah. organized and knowing, you know, what to expect and that sort of thing. One other thing, um, look at the climate. See see where you're going and what it's like. Because <laughs> a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people for the Australian Championships have, have come over and gone, oh, yeah, it's, Australia is hot and it's, and it's this and it's that. I mean, you know, yeah, we do get some hot days. And I know through the Australian Championships there's been some hot days. But have a backup plan. You know, take a hoodie or a, or a light rain jacket or something like that because we've had days we were in the clouds the whole time up on that mountain. Um, yeah, yeah. Or it's raining and horrible and it's nice and sunny just a bit lower down the mountain. But, um, yeah, so you know, look at the climate. Just look at, speak to the people who have been there. Like you said, um, you know, you called ahead of time and said, "Oh, look, what do I need? What do I, you know, what do we do?" Um, right. Yada yada. So yeah, I think really sort of, you know, talk to the people you're going to be carving, with, or if you know somebody there locally, especially, um, speak to them, um, ask them what you need, because a lot of the time they'll probably go, "Hey, look, don't bring this, don't bring that." You don't need to. I've got stuff here that'll cover you, or you know, you can't like you guys. You couldn't bring um, your your power tools and that sort of stuff. So, you know, letting mm-hmm. people know that, yep, look, we do have different you know voltage than you guys do, or whatever, because that might just be a complete um, oversight, um, and mm-hmm. and someone might bring a whole massive suitcase of power tools. And then not be able to use them. So, yeah, that would be a bummer. Yeah, (laughs) I always err on the side of asking a lot of questions (laughs) because it's funny too. No, no matter how much information a comp gives you, if you've never been there before, they think they're informing you enough, and it and it might not totally be their fault. But you know, I'm calling, going like, "What are the accommodations like, and where exactly are we going to be? Are we camping on grass, or are we camping in a parking lot? I mean, I'm just asking everything because otherwise, you show up and you're surprised and you don't know what to oh, do. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, cool. Well, I've this... heard some sort of horror stories about people going, "Well, I thought we'd actually have accommodation, but I think you know." Sure. So then you're out of pocket for trying to find a hotel room in a town that's 
small but now completely full of people for this event. Right. And then you're trying to scratch around for somewhere to even a couch to crash on, you know. But yeah, yeah. so no, it's it's always interesting. Get as much information. Information is key. <laughs> yes, definitely. Cool. All right. Well, I appreciate you being on, Robbie. Not at all. Fun and games. We'll talk again. Yeah, we'll talk again soon sometime. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Molly. That was great being able to hear from Robbie and hear all his experience that he's had from his travels and a little bit about his finish work. I hope that you guys were able to pick up some tips and tricks for yourselves. Be sure to go ahead and check out the other episodes for the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. This is our fourth episode. Um, And make sure if you like the podcast that you review it and share it so we can get it out there to other people. And if you guys have any suggestions for who I should have on in the future or topics that you'd like to hear about, uh, be sure and just send them my way so I can consider them and see if I can get somebody on. I appreciate you listening. We'll see you next time.